0: This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Welcome to Shack Talk. Kyle Agri of Brewer Agri Outdoors. Come on in. Grab a bucket and have a seat. We're going to be talking ice fishing. This shack talk and every shack talk is brought to you by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. Get Eskimo.com. You know, we are we are at the point in the season and uh, it's that point of the season when you start hearing the rumblings uh, from a lot of the folks, you know, the folks that you see at uh, at the grocery store and the gas station and places like that and and they're talking about how long the winter's been, how much snow we've gotten how cold it is and how ready they are for open water or or summertime or whatever it is that uh, is down around the the next corner uh, and the next season to come but as as ice anglers and ice enthusiasts this is really a bittersweet time because we've waited all year for the cold we've waited for for the ice for the winter winter temperatures and uh, it's here and and a lot of us really aren't ready anytime soon to give it up. Um, with that being said, we have some great ice fishing opportunities still ahead of us yet this season. Um, looking at at this podcast airing here about March one, we've got we've got a good good uh, amount of time to get out and enjoy that late season bite. Those late season days where you know you, you've you've got your jacket on in the morning, but by 10 o'clock, you've got just a hoodie on and you're outside, you're mobile, you're moving around and, and you're catching fish, which those are the days that just just burn into your memory and, and make it so much fun. Now, if you look at the the stories uh, just with the amount of snow we've had, it has been a challenge. Um, Game and fish, DNR, uh, the different governing bodies in, in the states where ice fishing takes place, they have rules and regulations. They have regulations about when your wheelhouse or your skid house, your permanent check has to be off of the ice and and certainly in in average conditions, if you will, many years that's not an issue. But when we're looking right now, at least in in my neck of the woods here, North Dakota, Minnesota, at the record, most snowfall in the month of February that's been recorded, it brings about some challenges. There's no question about it. There are challenges. That much snow on top of the ice on our lakes, it, it creates extra weight. It uh, it pushes down on that ice pack. It creates pressure that brings water flowing up above the ice. And And what's really interesting is that with the snow on top of the ice, that snow has enough insulating factor where the water underneath the slush underneath it, that's above the ice and below the snow. It, it oftentimes doesn't freeze. And so it creates quite a mess. Even on the coldest, coldest cold snaps, it still remains slush and water. And, um, of course, if we're driving our vehicles, whether it be a snowmobile, an ATV, uh, um, you know, a UTV or, or even a truck or a, or a regular car or vehicle, a suburban or a pickup. And, and we get into that wet slushy stuff. It can, it can create some headaches. It can create some challenges. And I know that there are a lot of folks that are really, really struggling with how that's affecting getting those permanent shacks off of the ice. Uh, but you know, that's when ingenuity kind of prevails and, and we also see a lot of people who are who are very in, in tune with how to make the best out of their situation. And I always find that very interesting to see how they uh how they make do and they're able to get those shacks off, uh, whether it be a tracked vehicle, whether it be uh, you know, plowing a road and, and clearing the way and and getting it off that way. Just the ingenuity is is impressive and and it kind of comes down to a lot of the, the mentality we have as ice anglers, when we have a problem, when we have a challenge ahead of us, we, we figure out what we need to do to, to make that, uh, make that situation better to fix the problem or fix the concern. Uh, looking at a, at a recent trip up to Lake Winnipeg, we, we were up there on the ice, you know, nine miles from our cabin and, and, here it's it's 1820 below 0 Fahrenheit. We we are ready to to pack up. It's dark. Head back to the cabin and uh, and call it a night. We had a great day of fishing and uh, and one of our vehicles in our group would not start. It wouldn't start. We worked on it for an hour and a half and and it's those challenging times that really kind of test your your ingenuity and your resolve. Um in the end, we weren't able to get it started and we were able to uh, take all of the, the gear off of it, bring it back to the cabin and uh, recharge the battery and do a little problem solving. The next day we we got it started and we were able to get it back and on the truck and on the trailer and, and it was all good. But just so many of those lessons learned as we uh, approach those challenging situations. But as I said, we're, we're at that point of the year when, you know, the weather is, is going to turn. We're at a transitionary period after the 1st of March here that the sunlight, the hours of daylight and sunlight are are extending. They're getting longer. That sun is stronger. We're going to see some melting. We're going to see that snowpack uh, reduce and, and get smaller. Um, even those days when it only hits 20 degrees, but the sunshine is out, you know that it's it's powerful enough to start melting and, and bringing that back down. We've got a lot of really, really good days ahead of us on the ice, and that's that's pretty exciting. And and uh, we have a lot to look forward to yet this season. Speaking of a lot to look forward to, um, this podcast we got a couple of great, great guests lined up. Patrick Olson is going to join us on the next segment here, and and he's going to talk about a tipper tactic, and it's going to be an interesting take. His tipper tactic is going to be targeting unique species. Patrick has a passion for species that don't get a lot of respect or attention from other anglers. And and he makes that really a big part of his pursuit is catching those fish, qualifying uh, a master angler in that fish species. And I am super excited to hear what he has to say about, um, about, his passion in those areas and and what his goals are and how he approaches it and how he, uh, how he really goes out to uh, accomplish those goals. And then as, as is typical here in our podcast, we have a location and destination segment. We're going to be joined in that segment by Jason Wright. Jason is part of the ultimate outdoor adventures. He's one of the uh, team members on ultimate outdoor adventures TV. He is a, a very avid outdoors enthusiast, hunting, fishing, year-round outdoor personality, and Jason is going to talk about his home water, and that is Lake Sakakawea in North Dakota, and uh, and talk about that fishery year-round, but specifically, he's going to talk even more about what we have ahead of us this season, and that is some incredible walleye and trophy pike fishing on that lake as we get into late ice and, and closer and closer to... Uh, the ice going out. And uh, some some of the fish that he has caught have been just incredible. I'm really excited to hear what he has to say about that body of water, the fishery, kind of the status of where it is right now and uh, how anglers can plan and take just a an awesome trip to a great destination in uh, right in the heart of the ice fishing world here in North Dakota. Folks, we're going to be right back We've got these two segments lined up, lots of ice fishing talk, lots of fun. And uh, we'll be back after this short break with our tip and tactics segment.
1: Introducing an entirely new class of ice augers, the gas-powered F1 and propane-powered P1 rocket augers from Eskimo. These ultra-lightweight augers run fast, spin fast, and cut fast thanks to their performance-tuned engines, high-speed transmissions, and all-new cast bottoms. All Eskimo power augers feature an industry-leading five-year warranty. Get assurance. Get reliability. Get Eskimo. Learn more at geteskimo.com.
0: Welcome back to Shack Talk. Kyle Agri here of Brewer Agri Outdoors and uh, we are joined in this second segment uh, tips and tactics by uh, Patrick Olson. He's a Fish Addictions Pro Staff member and uh, someone that uh, I've gotten to know here over the last uh, year or two and uh, we're going to talk tips and tactics for targeting unique species. Patrick welcome to Shack Talk.
1: Hi Kyle how's it going? you know
0: it's going great'm I'm, I'm very excited to be able to uh kind of kind of hear what you have to say and get in in get inside your head a little bit when when it comes to some of these things because we talk so often about walleye and pike and crappie and bluegill and kind of the the mainstream target species in, in in honestly whether it's open water or ice that you know really there's there's a lot more out there isn't there
1: Oh, absolutely. There's, there's a ton of opportunity and I don't know when it really happened for me, but maybe like two, three years ago, I, 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 didn't get bored, but I wanted a new challenge. And I know that there's all these other fish. And when I say other fish, I'm talking about rough fish or species of fish that aren't so much sought after, you know, so I'm talking like bullheads, sheep's head, bullfin, rock bass, um, you know that kind of stuff. Even even you know big suckers, and there the fascinating part about it for me is, is there isn't a whole lot of information out there for targeting these fish.
0: You're kind of yeah, writing it's... your own book. Oh, aren't go ahead. You? You're kind of writing your own book.
1: Well, kind of. I mean, I scour the internet and look for articles on targeting these things and. And one thing I did discover is down in the southern part of the United States, and we're talking like Georgia, northern Florida, and stuff like that, the the bullfin is actually sought after fairly frequently. I actually found recipes on how to prepare them for for eating, which I found kind of unusual.
0: (laughs) That is unusual. uh, Yeah, that's interesting too.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's definitely a – for me it's the it's just the challenge of the unknown um kind of breaks up some monotony if you will i i'm just the type of person i have i have all kinds of things going on at once and that also translates over to my fishing world and if you, if a person was ever to hop in a boat or get on the ice with me you know just be prepared we might be targeting bluegills and, you know, an hour later, if I see a pot of dogfish or dogfish fishing now or bowfish fishing, uh, I just, I don't know. And those, those rough fish or less sought after fish, just, they just fascinate me. I think there, a lot of them are really cool and they don't get the love that they I think that they deserve.
0: So t- tell me if I'm right on this, Patrick, is you because I look at that and I think that's a great perspective to approach any day fishing, no matter if it's summer or winter, doesn't, it doesn't matter <clears throat> when you're, when you're out and you see an opportunity rather than saying that's not the fish I was after. So I'm going to accept failure. You, you, you take the door that opens and you pursue it and you make something out of a day that maybe wasn't all that notable to begin with.
1: Exactly, and, you know, there's an opportunity to learn something, um, and there's there's always that opportunity for a fight that you never expected, and that happened with me with, uh, with Sheepshead, Freshwater Drum. My first one I caught, I was actually bullhead fishing off of a dock here north of Bemidji, wow. and I latched into this thing, and it took me about seven to ten minutes to get it in. And I'd never seen one before in my life, but I instantly fell in love with it because it took me seven to 10 minutes to get it in.
2: Right, right.
1: And, and talk... I had to ask the owner. I took a picture with my phone. I let it go. And uh, the the owner of the dock, I went up to his house and I said, Bill, what is this thing? And he said, oh, man, you got one of them lousy sheep's head. <laughs> I said, lousy? I said, man, I've got a permagram. I can't stop smiling. I said, "Is there a lot of these in this thing? He said, "Yeah, man, you can catch them all day long. and filthy things." I said, "Okay, well, whatever." <laughs> I and then I, when I that next year, I, I got a boat, and I started figuring out how to catch them on, on a conventional tackle. Hey, you know, and it was awesome.
0: Here's what's interesting about that. So I'm headed to Florida here in a week for a family vacation. And I am going to hire a fishing guide to take me out and fish for redfish and black drum.
1: Now, what oh, do you... black drum? Yeah. There you go. So,
0: so, what do you? Those two fish are cousins of what we yep. call the sheep's head or the freshwater drum. It's, it's essentially yep. the same fish.
1: Yep. Only the saltwater ones are way bigger, and I have never fished saltwater, and I'm afraid to see what would happen to me if I had the the ability to fish saltwater, because talk about all kinds of different species. Yep. But the black the black drum, the saltwater drum, the black drum is something that if I come across something on on YouTube where they're catching the, the the black drum, I definitely tune in and watch that because they I mean they look almost identical.
0: They do. They do. They look very much identical and the thing that's that that you really hit on that I think is is the point to remember here is you know we live up here in the area where we have open water part of the year and ice fishing part of the year the the freshwater drum is a species that gets very little respect but it's a great fight they're fun to catch they're a beautiful fish if you look at the iridescent colors um but yet we don't give them that credit
1: yeah and i i don't understand that and um the the freshwater drum that i catch up here are they're absolutely gorgeous they actually look like a like a giant female smallmouth. They got a really brown back to them and then it fades into a purple, uh, in the fight. Yeah. The fight is incredible. At the same time, I've been doing some research and I'm hopefully going to do this next winter. We both know our winter here has been rather rough, but as far as I know, nobody's ever caught one through the ice on, on this lake up north of Bemidji. And me and three other guys, we had plans to do this winter, but we wanted to be the first ones to pull one through the ice here in the area. That's awesome. And it's been a fascinating research project. Uh, I usually start out, talk. I, I did start out with talking with uh, dark house anglers. Those are some of the best guys to talk to. If you're wanting to research um, species of fish that you've never caught through the ice, because these guys spend from sun up till sundown staring in the water and they see any and everything that will swim through that lake and when it came to talking to those guys about seeing any sheep's head, zero was the answer. Really? Yeah, I instantly checked off, well, it's not going to be a shallow water bite. Yep. And uh, then I just started talking to regular anglers and crappie anglers and walleye anglers and nobody's even caught one. So, you know, I'm kind of at a dead end but I also have some theories that they don't want to keep to myself for right now. <laughs> that's that, that's uh, interesting.
0: You know, and honestly, what a great what a great tip for folks who are listening because you're. I mean, that just opened this whole turned on this big light bulb in my mind, Patrick, when you talked about the the dark house anglers and what a resource they are. They have, like you said, they stare down that hole and they see everything that swims by, not just what they catch. Um, but they see it all. What a great resource. That is, uh, that's That's going to be a new one, I know, in my book.
1: Yeah, it's been a dirty little secret of mine for many years, even when i um, you know, prior to this fascination with less thought after fish, is, you know, if I'm going to go to a, a, a lake that I've never fished before, if I see a dark house out there, you know, maybe get the name off of it or knock on the door if they're in there, and then just have a little chat session if they're in there. You know, they will give you an idea, because especially if you're, you're out there angling you know hey uh, guys you see a lot of bluegills come through here and yeah you know, oh yeah i see them all the time oh cool i'm gonna fish along this weed line i'll stay away from you but and they'll give you a good place to start
2: exactly instead of just going
1: out there blind or going out there and going well according to my map well sometimes firsthand information is is the best and i've always wouldn't bothered some dark house guys and usually those guys are willing to chat because it's Dark house England can be a kind of a lonely
0: life. <laughs> I, I bet that it can. And you know what? The bottom line is they're outdoor enthusiasts just like you and I, whether it's, yep. whether it's fishing, spearing, hunting, bird hunting, you know, whatever it is, we all have that common passion. And and yeah. uh, many times we want to share that and talk and, and, and having someone knock on the door and say, hey, what's going on? It's just an open invitation. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, those guys are those guys are pretty cool. And you get to hear some some of the bonus stuff, and you get to hear some pretty cool stories. <laughs> I can imagine.
0: I, I can yeah. imagine. <laughs> so, Patrick, now you've you kind of alluded to a couple different um, perspectives that you take. You know, one you said that you're out fishing, and and all of a sudden you see an opportunity to pursue a, a different kind of fish, and and you take that and you run with it. You've also said that you spend some time researching, you get something in your mind, like a, like a freshwater drummer, sheephead and, and, and you research it and you find out what do you, do you have a hit list of, of for lack of a better word of species that you want to target or, or like personal goals. You want to catch something of a particular size. How do, how does that work with you in terms of what your, your aspirations and your passions are?
1: Well, for right now, my hit list is the Minnesota Master Angler uh, list. Um, it lists just about every game fish and rough fish in Minnesota. and They have actual requirements on this. And I check it every year to see if things have been updated. And uh, I just, I've decided over the years here to uh, start checking some of those off the list. Because when I first decided to attack that list, I had, you know, I looked at sheep's head and I can't remember what it is right off the top of my head, but um, I broke that one. I, I broke uh, the rock bass one. Um, let's see. And then some of the pop, more popular fish, like largemouth, I broke the largemouth. Um, the walleye I broke. I think the walleye is only 26 inches for a master angler in Minnesota. Um, so there was a lot of them that I had had broken but i thought you know just to just to up the ante a little bit i want to i want to go after the rough fish because they're actually really hard to catch on purpose
0: on purpose isn't that the truth the incidental catches happen and they happen more frequently right. than you think but to do it on purpose is a different a different goal altogether
1: and that's what i'm learning as to uh, is on purpose is the challenge um so that's, you know, that's where I've started to, or that's the list that's got me going. And it's, uh, even continually going, like, uh, I think it was last year, um, I finally registered a, a Minnesota master angler rock bass. It was like 11 and three quarter inches or something like that. Well, that also brought me into another list. A friend of mine here in town had messaged me and said, Hey, have you ever checked uh, line class records? And so I, I jumped on um, the uh, Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame website, started looking at line class records, and, and then I got, they have an ice fishing category, and I looked at the ice fishing stuff, and I noticed that the world ice fishing record was only one pound, four ounces. Well, that day I caught a 1.6, a 1.9, and a one eleven, So I broke the world ice fishing record three times three
0: different times in one day
1: three different times in one day in less than an hour and I did not register those or any of them but uh maybe next year <laughs> I was actually thinking about doing it this winter but things have gotten rough up here <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> weather-wise. a little, little weather wise it's been uh it's been challenging to say the least I'm you know, a a story that I'm thinking of, Patrick, was was taking me back here about five six years. And you talk about the incidental catches. So, I was I was back in uh, kind of my home part of the world, uh, Montevideo, Minnesota, and and it was the first year of the Ice Castle Classic Fishing Derby out on Lake the the reservoir on the Minnesota River, and uh, there were there were thousands of people who came out for this because the prize lineup was just uh, out of this world. And uh, did a kids clinic out there in the whole works. It was it was tough sledding as far as fishing was concerned. Out of, you know, twenty five hundred, three thousand participants, there were three fish caught. But the Ooh. winning fish, the winning fish was a, a big mouth buffalo carp that was caught and, and that thing was over twenty pounds. And the the guys who had it on actually had to drill holes adjacent to their hole to get that, or they had to chip away at it to make that hole bigger. <laughs> and and they were able to get it up through, but it took first place at one of an Ice Castle Fish House. And, awesome. and here it was a fish that nobody would have thought that they were intentionally going out to
1: catch. Perfect. Yep. That's, you know, you know that's that's how... Sometimes that's how these, these strange fascinations with other species get started. Um, one thing, another tip I can, I can give any of our listeners if they're interested in this, is I got a book about six years ago, the Great Minnesota Fish Book by Tom Dickinson. And it lists every minnow and fish that swim in Minnesota. And it has a lot of, you know, their, their biology and a little bit of their habits. And I, I reference this book a lot when I go to set out for a new challenge. So good old, not everything is done with Google. I still use books. The good old fashioned way. Good old fashioned way. Cause the power goes out. I can still read my book.
0: Exactly. I bet you got a couple <laughs> of candles in there too, right? In case that power goes out. Exactly, Campbell. I can go
1: very, very old school.
0: <laughs> I love
1: it. I love it.
0: And you know, Patrick, when you when you look about and you look at some of these kind of off the beaten path species, these these species of fish that don't get a lot of of attention and targeting, we just uh, just interviewed Scott Albrecht. And, and a lot of folks may know who Scott Albrecht is. He's part of or a member of this year's uh, USA ice fishing team that competed in the World Ice Fishing Championships in Bulgaria. Now, this year in Bulgaria, the fish were perch, but he has, he has fished and competed with that team in, uh, in, in several other European countries where the fish species that they were targeting were completely unknown. And so sort of like you, it was that same approach of, of learning, of, of trying and, and figuring out the
1: puzzle to catch those fish. Yes, absolutely. And I know, I know who Scott is. I've met Scott a few times. Very enthusiastic. I really just, he's really into it. And the perch that, that they're talking about are not like our yellow perch. I don't, I don't believe, um, they're, uh, they're actually quite different looking. They kind of look like a like a big fat shiner.
0: Yeah, um, exactly.
1: It, yeah. Um, then and that's also led you know my fascination with other species has led me across the pond via the internet, uh, just looking at what they what they have overseas. And it was a few years ago. Uh, I actually went smelt fishing through the ice with little jigs and palm rods with a buddy over on the iron range. Wow. He actually goes and hook, line, smelt. And I was telling uh, Lawrence Luoma, who, who tried out for the ice team, and, and I I'd spoke with Jeff Kelmo, who was a member of the ice team, uh, USA ice team back then, about this reservoir, Lake Obregon, uh, on the iron range where we were catching on little tiny jigs, smelt. And those guys wanted to come up and practice for the world championships. Cause those are the type of fish that they were catching overseas. That is awesome. Yes. I thought that was kind of cool, but there again, I was fishing for smelt and I'd never done it before. And it was super cool. Cause I mean, the, the flash would just, the whole thing would be red where almost looked like a bug hatch. If you're a pan fisherman. Right. But they were smelt and they would hit and you'd pull them up and they'd be <clears throat> excuse me, 10 inches long but they have little tiny teeth they almost look like a miniature barracuda wow yeah and it was just super fun and i always pick up some palm rods every time i'm at st paul ice show i usually give them out to people and uh i just happen to have two palm rods and he's and my buddy kept them both i gave them both to him and he said these are perfect for smell fishing and what he does he goes over and angles them and then he freezes them, and then in the summertime he uses them for pike fishing and muskie fishing.
0: Oh, sure, he uses them for bait. Absolutely,
1: and he'll eat a few too.
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly. There's that. There's no doubt about it. You know, I've I've really um, last year been introduced to fishing tulipie, which is another. I mean, you can maybe call that mainstream with with some people, but uh, I know a lot of folks who've not really heard of what a tulipie is or fished for them, and. Talk about a blast. It is a great, great pursuit, especially on, on late ice. And, uh, you know, they, they put a heck of a bend in the rod and, and they're a challenge to catch and they're absolutely delicious when they're smoked.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and talk about a crazy fish. It's, it's up and down and up and down and they just chase. It's just, it's nuts. I, I've actually targeted, uh, and um, Tulabee is out here on Lake Bemidji with Matt Brewer a few years ago. He took me out there, and we had the big, the big spoon with the dropper rig and the little jig on there. And, and uh, you don't – you know, you're not a foot off the bottom. You're somewhere in the middle of the 50-foot water column that we were in, and just rip that thing up and down. And those things come from out of nowhere and just – and then the chase is on. It, it looks really, really – it's really, really fun.
0: It, it is such a blast. And on light tackle – They put up Mm -hmm. a great fight. You get a pound, pound and a half, even a two pound tulipy, um, which, you know, which, which is a pretty big one in, in the areas that I was fishing, but still what a fight. They're a great fight. And, and like you said, you're down 30 feet in 50, 60 feet of water. It's not like you just have three cranks on the reel and they're up the hole. I mean, it's,
1: it's game on. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh last winter i set out on cast lake looking for a master angler whitefish and uh i came up empty-handed but of course it was the classic story i was with a a guide over there a friend of mine and uh he was actually accidentally catching while they were bourbon fishing And, and he called me up and he knew that i was after these master angler fish and he said man we've got several over 26 and i said well let's go and yeah, I was one of those cases I should have been there the day before the day that they were catching them. But, uh, but still there again, you know, it, targeting them, I had high hopes like, yeah, this is going to be a no brainer, but it's just like any other fish. Uh, they do what they do. And if you're not there at the right time, you're not going to get them. Nope, so you're they're right. just, they're just as crafty as any walleye or, or large or smallmouth or, or trout. It's still fishing.
0: Regardless of what you're after, it's still fishing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I love it. This is good stuff, Patrick. I appreciate you coming on and and visiting. Uh, What, what just uh, before we wrap up, give me a, give me a heads up here or give our listeners kind of a, a preview of what your next year is going to be like. What do you have on your hit list? What are your top three accomplishments for these uh, out of the ordinary species?
1: Well, I'm still trying to chase down the, the master angler brown bullhead. I'm a half inch away. Uh, I need 20 inches. I've got one at 19 and a half and several at 19 to 18 to 19 inches. So I'm going to continue with that. Um, I'm actually going to go back to my roots a little bit and concentrate more. When I was a young, young kid and a teenager, I was heavy into largemouth bass fishing. I haven't done it seriously in many, many years. I already made a list of all kinds of jigs and topwater stuff, and I'm going to go back. I'm going to go after the master angler bass uh, this summer and enjoy some bass fishing, and uh, probably spend from probably midsummer into fall, even late fall. I'm going to try to chase around as many schools of sheep's head as I can to prepare for winter, because I want to get one of these giant sheep's head through the ice. I just, the fight on open water rod is unreal. I can only imagine what it would be through the ice.
0: I love it. I love it. This is, uh, this is good stuff. And, uh, I can't wait to see the photo of you holding that freshwater drum sheep head up, uh, in the, in the ice shanty and, and, uh, (laughs) knowing you accomplished
1: your goal. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's going to be fun. And, you know, another one more goal is, uh, if I can convince Mike Olson to to let us film one of these crazy episodes, that would be another ultimate goal to accomplish. He like he likes to tease me about my my love affair for rough fish.
0: <laughs> well, keep after it. You never know when he when yeah. he needs an episode and you've got a hot bite going, you might just have the recipe.
1: Well, when I always I say you know, hey Mike, I, I got a I got a good bite going. And he the first thing first thing Mike likes to say is for what Patrick <laughs> and we laugh about it, but, but uh, yeah. So, you know, thanks for having me on and, and uh, you try to get out there and, and let's get after this late ice and try to make the best of the rest of this winter.
0: Exactly. That's what we all got to do. We've got, we've got plenty of good fishing left on the ice this year and uh, mother nature's throwing a lot at us, but we, uh, we've got the equipment to handle it and uh, we just need to be prepared Patrick, for folks that might be interested, I know they can uh, they can follow you through Fish Addictions, but uh, would there be another way? You're you're on social media. How can they find you?
1: Uh, on Facebook, I'm actually Patrick Patches Olson. Long story. We'll do it some other time on that <laughs> middle that nickname. Uh, Patrick Patches Patches Olson on. Facebook. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Minnesota chomp. You can follow some of these crazy adventures over there. And then, uh, through the broken line podcast too, which also has a Facebook page.
0: Fantastic. And folks, if you've not listened to the broken line, I highly recommend it. You talk about more fishing fun. These guys have a great time when they're talking fishing, they're talking ice fishing, talking anything fishing. And, uh, Check it out, Broken Line Podcast, Fish Addictions. Check out Patrick on social media. Follow him, uh, all of his adventures, and and be watching when he puts that uh, that first that first sheephead through the ice next year, or maybe even this year.
1: I'm going to try my hardest to make it happen, Kyle. All right,
0: you take care. Thanks for joining us, Patrick.
1: Thank you, sir. Bye bye.
0: Stick around, folks. We've got another segment to go. We're going to be right back after this break with Jason Wright of Ultimate Outdoor Adventures in our Location Destination segment talking about Lake Sakakawea in North Dakota. For the past half decade, Ion has been the best-selling and highest-rated electric auger on the ice. It was also the first high-performance ice auger powered by lithium-ion technology. No other electric ice auger shreds faster, cuts smoother, or drills through more ice on a single charge. Whether redrilling old frozen holes in your shack or running and gunning across the lake, Ion is the perfect auger for you. Trust the proven performance of Ion and make the switch to electric this ice fishing season. Visit us at ioniceaugers.com. Welcome back to Shack Talk. This is our third and final segment of the podcast, which traditionally has always been our location and destination segment. We are uh, very, very excited here to to welcome Jason Wright, good friend of ours from Bismarck, North Dakota, part of the Ultimo- Ultimate Outdoor Adventures television program and part of their crew and someone who is also very, very passionate about ice fishing and and fishing year round. We're going to talk today with Jason about uh, a body of water that is uh, really synonymous with North Dakota fishing, and that is Lake Sakakawea. Jason, welcome to Shack Talk.
2: Thank you very much. And yes, Lake Sakakawea has probably been too much of my home, and uh, it probably keeps me from going elsewhere just because it's so close to home. And and, uh, the walleye fishing is really my thing. And even though there's so much... Uh, there's so many other places to go out and chase big perch and bluegills and crappies and walleye and all these prairie lakes. Um, but Lake Sakakawea has just, it has, it it just is a major draw for me and a lot of the people in this part of the state.
0: You know, and, and for our listeners, just so they're aware, um, we are talking about Lake Sakakawea in North Dakota, but the last time you and I connected was out on the ice on Lake Winnipeg chasing those big greenbacks
2: isn't that crazy yeah it's it's amazing how yeah that's another big key and a big draw in fact i'm i'm in the process of getting geared up again this for this coming weekend and <clears throat> lake winnipeg's been been interesting this year to say the least
0: it certainly has it certainly has but uh you know uh, Sakakawea is what what about what 50 miles north of bismarck where you live and where you work and um boy you can't beat that proximity can you on a fishery like that
2: no and i spend so much time up there and yeah for me it wouldn't be that big a deal to get off of work and and run up there to fish but uh, as a as a school teacher I've been teaching the past 21 years I pretty much live up there throughout the entire summer you know we have such great fisheries in this state you know you got Montana south Dakota Minnesota and Canada nearby but uh, when guys are asking me to go on trips uh, to other places it's hard for me to leave Lake Sakakawea and right now we're really lucky the fishery is doing really really good right now
0: uh, for our for our listeners, again, who may not be familiar, and, and you know what, if you're any kind of an angler, any kind of an outdoor person, Lake Sakakawea is probably a familiar name, but uh, some some may not be real uh, familiar, and we have folks listening to Shag Talk all across the country, out in the, the northeast United States, all the way out to Idaho and, and the west coast, and so Lake Sakakawea is a large reservoir, in fact, it's the second largest man-made lake in the United States. It's a reservoir on the Missouri river um, created when they, they built the Garrison dam, the U S army Corps of engineers. Uh, They completed that in 1956. So this lake has been around, you know, uh, uh, 60, 70 years. Uh, It's, it's well-established as a fishery. And, and I mean, Jason talking big, I mean, it's, it's 480 square miles of water, 1,300 plus miles of shoreline. Um, it, it's almost endless when you look at the size and scope of that body of water.
2: And it's, it's kind of funny, you You mentioned that uh, just last weekend while up in, up on Lake Winnipeg, guys were talking about uh, Lake Sakakawea. And I was explaining to them that it, it's not just one lake. I mean, it is, but it's almost like there are lakes within the lake. You know, we have the western part of it. Um, We have the midsection and the eastern end of it. But we also have these large bays that act as their own lake we, you know, there are years where you can tell that a particular bay has had a lot of pressure on it just from the previous year, or we might have an area of the lake, whether it's the Western or the Eastern side that has seen more pressure. And so it's a lake that's, I think it's really unlike most any lakes that I've ever fished. And I would say that most have fished to me, it's really different. And it's, um, what really has me always wanting to learn so much is mother nature truly dictates what's going to happen. Happen with the future of this lake, and right now uh, she has given us a lot of water. We've had cooler summers. Our winters have been good. Um, during the spawn, the smelt is the number one forage. If we don't have smelt in this lake, so basically it's two things: we need to have water, and we must have smelt. And in order for our smelt to survive, our our elevation must be at about 1826, 1828. And right now we're probably sitting at about 1838, which is just fine. But without those two factors, we're in trouble. And then what a lot of people may or may not understand is when smelts spawn, they're spawning in water that's just an an inch or two deep. And so if the water happens to be dropping at that very same time and or if the water is, is rising, Or if we get a snowstorm or a a, a windy evening, it's all done. It's amazing how Mother Nature dictates this lake. And it's, I think, something different than a lot of our, our lakes and reservoirs, probably further east, Uh, is the elevation can fluctuate as much as 20 feet from one year to the next. And uh, this year, obviously, with all the snow we have, it's probably not going to drop a whole lot. But um, last year was probably the highest year that I can ever remember as far as elevation, aside from the flood of 2011, where they had to open the spillway Gates to to you know drain that lake down, but last year I was floating a boat in places where I've never been able to put a boat. I was catching walleye in places I never would have thought walleyes were ever going to be able to swim, you know, let alone there be water. But it's it's a different lake because it has so much structure. There are islands, there's rock, there's sand and gravel, and there's mud. Um, it's just a, a real different animal and makes it a lot of fun to learn. If you want to learn how to catch walleyes, I think Lake Sakakawea is the place to do it
0: wow talk about a delicate balance and a and a a set of different factors that are always changing i mean that's that's quite a that's quite a complex system jason when you look at it and for conditions to be right and for those fish to thrive and that spawn to happen and in all of these things to fall into place it uh i can see where it doesn't necessarily happen every single year now you have those ebbs and flows over time
2: no, exactly. But right now, we are looking at the absolute highest walleye, pe- walleye population since that lake was built. There's never been a time where we had more walleye in that lake. Um, you know, as far as I know, our smelt population is still really, really good. Uh, last year, our bait fish, everything was looking really good. Our northern population is good. It isn't as high as it used to be just because... It seems like the pattern with this lake is every so many years, whether it's every five or every 10, we go through a drought. And when you go through this drought, the lake drops, and, and it takes usually a number of years for the water to to recover. And while it's doing that, we have cottonwood trees growing, um, we have you know shorelines that are becoming you know inundated with clover and all kinds of vegetation. And so then, as soon as that vegetation is submerged, we've got the the best for when it comes to our perch and our, our northern pike you know uh, spawning and just the habitat alone. But unfortunately, what happens more times than not is the lake decides to rise all in one or two years and it uses up a lot of that vegetation and habitat so quickly so right now our our northern pike population is good but it's the walleyes that are just flourishing and the smallmouth bass this this lake is becoming an incredible smallmouth bass fishery too you know but as i look outside and see all this snow and just got uh, an alert on my phone about five inches of snow coming i'm not so sure that if we can keep this fishery going in the direction it's going that you aren't going to see more more articles uh, about ice fishing this lake. The ice fishing on this lake is becoming something else, and and it's becoming better and better every year.
0: Jason, as as we talk about ice fishing here on Lake Sakakawea, you mentioned the walleye. Uh, you you did mention the the pike, the smallmouth bass, but. There are also, there's trout and there's salmon in Lake Sakakawea. Are these fish that people target through the ice, or are we primarily talking about uh, bass pike and walleye during the ice season?
2: Um, as far as trout are concerned, there probably aren't a lot of trout in that lake right now. The Game and Fish used to stock trout, uh, both browns and rainbows. Now, I, I can't say for sure, but I think it's been a little while. Um, I don't re- I think one of the reasons they were stocking them and end uh, up uh, they had to quit was because of those low water years where we didn't have a, a you know the uh, the amount of smelt necessary and, and forage fish necessary. But the salmon population is definitely coming back. They're stocking more and more of those, you know. And I don't really know of many people that target those through the ice anymore. I know that there were people when I was growing up. There were more and more anglers on the very western edge of that lake that were targeting trying to target salmon through the ice. But you know, I, I to be honest with you, I don't know anyone that was that has been Successful at it, you know, year after year. Or most of the time, you're probably just walleye fishing, and you happen to catch a salmon. It's, you know, I just, I guess, I don't know many people that just target that species anymore. It's mostly walleyes and northern pike are, are the primary species that people are targeting through the ice now.
0: So, um Jason, as we look at those two, let's just talk about the walleyes. Talk about the pike. Um, I know you've had a lot of success uh, this time of the year and, and on out till ice out targeting some of those big, big trophy pike. And I I'd certainly want to hear about that. But folks who are looking for walleye, um, is, is this a year round as far as the hard water season? Um, are those walleyes being targeted from first ice right on through the end of the year with North Dakota having an, a, an, a walleye season that does not close? Um, are these fish able to be targeted, able to be caught and accessible during the entire hard water season.
2: You know, I think the, during the early ice fishing season, anyway, you know, Lake Sakakawea can be a little more difficult, especially this year because I don't think the official freeze happened until about the spring. 15th 16th 17th of january this year i might be off <clears throat> off on that a little bit but obviously the bays and stuff were, were frozen but i do know people that were putting boats in the water in december um so you definitely have some diehard anglers that are taking sleds out and things like that walking out and there's there's actually plenty of areas that you can walk out and get far enough away from shore wherever it is that you need to go to get there and then as as the winter progresses like right now you're well, I guess we have a little more snow than normal, but snowmobiles, uh, track machines, those are probably the best things right now because, as of the last couple of weeks, we've got so much snow and it's it's hard to get around. But um, usually, you'll have a lot of people, you know, on that on the ice right now, and and the walleye fishing will just continue to get better and better and better. Interesting. And I'll uh, oh, go ahead.
0: No, no, that's that's very interesting. And and you brought up the point that uh, there were folks fishing out of a boat here, uh, in January, but truly at any time during the, the calendar, you can, you can fish below the Garrison dam in the tail race and you Correct. can fish out of a boat.
2: Yes, you can. That's also another option. There are people that'll just make trips up here and, uh, around Lake Sakakawea and they might do some ice fishing, whether it's Lake Sakakawea or Lake Audubon, which is right next to it, and um, and if that's not good, and if the, if the weather happens to be beautiful, they might dump a boat in there, and now you've got your you have an opportunity at at walleyes, uh, burbutt or ling, um, trout and salmon and, and everything, yeah. um, but usually most people wait till the temperatures are pushing that 30 mark anyway. But but no, the fishing on the big lake has actually been pretty good this year, and um, most of the fishing that I would be doing right now on the eastern side of the lake, I'd be targeting sunken humps endpoints not a lot different than I would be doing mid-summer almost Um, but targeting some deeper fish and then working shallower in the evening and in the the mornings in the daytime I'm um, definitely going to work out to 35 feet of water if need be and with today's electronics you can go looking for these fish too. And as you work your way west, um, the Van Hook Arm, which is very popular and well-known by a lot, that's been really, really good. Now, you don't have as many points as you are in the eastern or the midsection of the lake to target there, but it's kind of a, you know, Van Hook Arm almost makes, it makes me think a little bit of Devil's Lake, you know, other than, I guess, we don't have the same type of structure, but the fishing is a little different that way where it's kind of, it's a lot flatter and you're, you're. Targeting sunken humps, and then you can actually go further west <clears throat> and get up in the river and go west of Newtown. And right now, that is probably the best place to be for walleye fishing. Um, that river from Newtown uh, west, as and as as well as following that river all the way down to Lake Sakakawea, it's been phenomenal. It's almost like it never. It never stops 365 days a year. It has just been good. And the size of fish are really up there. And again, you're targeting structure. Lots of guys will set up tip ups. Um, You're allowed four, four rods. Right. So they, they might set up two or three tip ups and then then uh, you know whole jump you know throughout the day and then you know everybody's kind of got their place. they want to be towards evening because there's always that evening bite that'll run for a couple of hours and uh, it's kind of more your traditional bite. I don't think you have as many people jumping around like you would on, on Lake Winnipeg, for example. you know you're just really constantly going all day long. It seems to be more in the morning and more in the, yeah, the evening but uh, but I don't think it would be any different. I just think that people don't hop around as much as you and I might on some of these other lakes. We would fish for walleyes.
0: You know, it's interesting how folks in different areas have kind of their approach to their body of Mm -hmm. water, the body of water they either grew up in and and have fished their whole lives, or, you know, perhaps it's, it's something that they've learned from a local and, Mm -hmm. and they get in those routines and it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just how, how each group and each body of water has its own personality, uh, Jason, I know, and I, I alluded to this earlier, but, but you really have a passion for pursuing those big trophy pike. And there's some monsters in Lake Sakakawea and, and that just like the walleyes gets better as the season goes on right up until ice out, uh, share just a little bit of kind of your approach and, and what you've seen this lake produce in terms of pike.
2: Yeah, well, the pike fishing has has always been good. You're going to have, again, years that are better and years that are more difficult. Right now our population is, I would say our population is good. It's not as high as it was five years ago or so. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the, the vegetation that is lost because our lake's been so high now for so many years. But uh, I, I really live and die by maps. I love Google Earth. When it comes to looking for, for let's say, any time... I mean, you can go catch Pike anytime throughout the winter, but I, I really look forward to any time in March, but the last few weeks of the season for sure. So let's say from March 15th on maybe March 8th on Um, And this year we might be chasing pike on the ice in April, the way it's looking. And and if you can get on Lake Sakakawea during the month of April, the first week or so of April on the ice, it is incredible. But I'll look at Google Earth and I look for all the feeder creeks. And oftentimes uh, it's not unusual for us to walk anywhere from one to maybe a mile and a half. We might have to walk across uh, some of the game management land to get to these different areas because access can be really difficult. It might be muddy or we might have snow and just this, is too difficult there are plenty of places to access it just from a boat ramp and you're probably going to be walking because by the end the, the ice is usually pretty bad but that's what I do we really look at we use Google Earth that's my number one tool I'll sit and study it and see which ones might have the best creeks especially and this year will be another good year because we're gonna have snow last year we didn't have a lot of runoff so I'm looking for an area that's gonna have a lot of runoff and basically it has current and there's gonna be that current running into the lake and it's gonna be drawing those fish into those areas and it is it's my favorite time you know, I don't jig a lot like I should be. A lot of people will use big jigs, big, uh, you know, twister tails on there as big as they can get. Buck tails work really good or just even spoons like like when we're chasing walleyes on Lake Winnipeg. A lot of guys are doing that down here, put a big smelt on it or something and, and rip that spoon. And uh, that's a lot of fun. But I, I it's, it's fun also just to get out and set up a bunch of tip ups and usually line them up. And we might go anywhere from three feet of water down to 20 feet until you kind of figure something out or. Or if possible, if you can find some of these feeder creeks and back off that creek a little bit, usually there's some ledges. And if I can find, a, uh, let's say, a ledge that will run maybe a hundred yards in that, that eight to 12 foot range. Then you've got a, a nice break into deep water. I'll try to set up on top of that. Cause those pike will usually come up, especially throughout the daytime and they're up there. They are getting ready to feed. Cause it's not that long until they'll be spawning, but no matter the area of the lake, I'll first look for those feeder creeks. Now, if you're on the Western part of that lake, like in the Van Hook arm there, you're, you're more or less looking for areas along the shoreline. As those pike are just cruising along the shallows under the ice, you know, prior to the, you know, during uh, post-spawn but i i tend to spend most of my time like in douglas bay um which is kind of on the eastern end uh stanky bay and these are all on the north side of the lake wolf creek is another one that wolf creek butts up to highway 83 um there's i don't think you can go wrong and then if you're on the south side um there's beulah bay has been good renner bay um, there's just a lot of basically any bay that has a creek that'll be running into it. And this year that it's not going to be a problem with the amount of snow that we're having. And uh, just they're usually easily accessible. You may have to walk a little bit. You know, we'll pile our sleds up and our chairs and some coolers and and, and, and spend the day out there doing it, especially if you can get a day where it's, uh, you know, not a lot of wind and maybe mid 20s or I think our one of our last days last year, I think it was 70 degrees. It was beautiful. Wow. Just gotta wear a lot of sunscreen, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. I am just fascinated by this, Jason. And what a great tip to be able to use Google Earth and and the tool that that is for an angler. Uh, we we oftentimes recognize that our our Lowrance or our Vexilar mm-hmm. or our electronics we have out on the ice with us and our maps. You know that that and that is it's a very viable tool. But yet that homework we do at home, the Google Earth on oh, yes. our smartphone and the the information we can gather to set ourselves up ahead of time, like you said, to find that creek. That's emptying into that back bay, and 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 find an area where you can go in and target, and and have some confidence that you're going to be in an area where you're going to find some fish.
2: Exactly. No, and you know, and I don't think a lot of people understand. I mark a lot of my waypoints, uh, especially on Lake Sakakawea. This would probably. Be, a wonderful suggestion, I think, for people is when I use Google Earth, I go back in time. You know, you can use that timeline feature. And what I do, and this is pretty much any lake that I fish. The only one that doesn't seem to work for is Lake Winnipeg because the lake doesn't vary enough. But right. I'll go back in, and I'll find the lowest water years using Google Earth. And then what I do is, for example, I'll pin rock piles or I'll pin um, long underwater points and I'll, I'll pin, uh, sunken islands. And then I convert those. You can just convert those online and then just take them and put them on an SD card and throw them into your, your, uh, your graph. If you want to,
0: you know what, Jason, tell tell me if you've done this too. the, one of the things that, and this is uh, devil's Lake is, is really good for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure about Sakaka. but back in the day when when you had tree rows and and windrows from the farms and the farmsteads, if you could find the areas that have the, uh, the lilac bushes.
2: Oh yeah. To,
0: to me, that is yep. just a, a treasure. And, and you know that now that that is in, you know, 12, 15, 20 yep. foot of water. I mean, the cover that the snags do, but a, a you know, a fish holding cover that they provide is amazing.
2: Yes. Last year, and and this would be the same for the ice fishing right now that's going on, especially for Northern Pike, but last year we had, you know, submerged vegetation and trees, like you're talking about, more than I've ever seen before, because again, the only time that I can remember this lake being this high that early last year and throughout the entire summer would have been the year of the flood, but you know it peaked and then they had to drop it you know open open the spillway gates but we yeah. were only a foot or two from going over you could literally drive over towards the spillway and look down it with a boat and uh, but it was the most fun i think i've ever had because we were fishing cover last year and so it it was more like you were hunting fish and so that's what we were doing we were actually using google earth looking for some of these places that would have bushes now granted i know that it might not be like like the pictures were taken or the satellite photos weren't like from yesterday but still it gives you a pretty good idea if there were bushes or trees there a few years ago and that it's just google earth is a huge tool to me i love it very seldom do days go by where i'm not on there looking at it and trying to find things but the biggest thing for me has been able to go back and find the low water years of any lake or reservoir that i'm going to fish and i and i pin those waypoints on there and then I, I instantly convert them over so that i can just throw them into my my uh, my graph you know wow. so that i can just go find them and i have hundreds and hundreds of them usually
0: so that's just great advice for any angler to to put in the memory bank and to to just pull out at those times when you've got a a new body of water or a, or a body of water that fits that description. Jason, now, let's take a look. Now I'm just super fired up about fishing Lake Sakakawea myself, and I'm just a couple hours away. Um, for folks that might be listening um, in a in a larger distance, further away from
1: mm-hmm. from
0: this lake. Uh, if they want to plan a trip, um, what kind of uh, lodging? Are there certain areas they should be looking to? Uh, in your estimation, is Bismarck or Minot or, or one of those larger cities a, a good bet? Or are there some year-round smaller communities that have the same uh, accommodations?
2: Well, uh, definitely. Well, you've got Newtown if you're on the western end of that lake. Um, Garrison, North Dakota has hotel facilities that are open year-round. Um, there are places to stay in the Riverdale area. Um, some of the smaller communities might be a little bit more difficult in the wintertime, whereas they might have cabin rentals and places like that during the summer. Um, you've got Beulah, North Dakota, Hayes in North Dakota. These are all areas you know, that are obviously going from the south side of the north side of that lake. It's not like you just drive across the lake, because you don't right. drive across Lake Sakakawea, so you'd have to drive completely around on a highway, so first of all, you'd have to kind of know what you're going to go there for, if it's walleye fishing, um, you know, I might I might tell people, probably, if you're going to go walleye fishing, want to try some walleye fishing, if it's the east end, I'd be looking at probably Garrison, North Dakota, um, and, and look up some of the hotels there, um, if it's the, more towards the east, the western end, excuse me, the Van Hook Arm Is probably those that area is a little bit easier, probably as far as I shouldn't say easier, but it might be more successful. Um, Catching fish through the ice there seems to be a little bit easier at times. It's not as structure oriented as it is, more humps and things like that. Uh, More fish are roaming. Whereas on the eastern end, you're definitely going to be looking at structure, which for me, I like structure because when I go to Lake Winnipeg and I don't find a lot of structure, it can be a little frustrating. But That's at least if sure. I'm fishing structure, I know that there's a good chance there are supposed to be walleyes around the structure. Exactly. Um, then you can get up into the river where you can you can go all the way to Williston, to be honest with you, and have tremendously good fishing not far from Williston on the river itself. So from, river, from Williston to Lake Sakakawea right now on the Missouri River, there is tremendous fishing and it's just been absolutely out of this world incredible the last three years it's just like how can this be it doesn't stop it'll start and it just goes right on through if you want to keep catching fish you can be there right now and catching fish wow you know it's it's you know it's different in the aspects that it's Let's see how to explain it. You, you got to work a little bit at this. Um, you need to look at maps, you know, and it's probably not as easy to find online information, but as far as the lodging, that's probably not so hard to look up these small towns and find some good places, but Garrison has good lodging. Plus they got bait shops there. Um, same thing with the pick city Riverdale area, the Hayes and Buell area. So there's plenty of lodging. Some of it's closer to the lake than others, Um but people could definitely look me up on Facebook and, and, uh, you know, I would, I would definitely enjoy shooting, you know, people messages back and forth and helping out. Cause I love to hear about the success, you know, um, it's just fun, but it's, it, it's yeah. a little bit different strategy wise for walleyes. Guys are doing the same thing. Some are using a lot of rattle baits. Some are using smaller spoons. Um, some guys just like a bobber and a minnow. Some are just doing tip ups. So it's, there isn't, you know, like you were saying, there isn't one one way or method that's better than the other. Um, moving around and looking at, for them with your electronics, especially during the daytime when they're deeper, is probably a little bit easier. And the right. northern pike, most are doing tip-ups and smelt. And, you know, a few of them go out there with jigging for northern pike is so much fun. It's You're ripping, you know, big jigs and, and even in shallow water, it can be just a lot of fun.
0: And catching big fish, you know, you can't beat that at all. And you mentioned, no. Jason, it's kind of like hunting for these fish when you, when you talked about that and, and you're a part of Ultimate Outdoor Adventures TV. And, and I know there's some folks that may or may not have had a chance mm-hmm. to see you. I would highly recommend if you're listening to this now and uh, are as excited about fishing on Lake Sakakawea as I am just listening to Jason, you should see the TV show. And these guys, they, uh, they spend I would say it's safe, Jason, to say that that your your television show is is focused primarily on hunting, big game yes, hunting, is. and and whatnot. But uh, you you have the same passion and and fire for for big game hunting and trophies, and and not just trophies, but but hunting in general, um, the camaraderie and the the fellowship and the the um, just just the whole aspect of embracing the outdoors as uh, you have the last uh, few minutes here talking about Lake Sakakawea. Uh, if we have listeners who are from outside of the area, where can they find Ultimate Outdoor Adventures and and folks who are here within the, the North Dakota, South Dakota area, where can they watch your show?
2: Within North Dakota, um, Western North Dakota, we, we're on West Dakota Fox, uh, NBC TV. Throughout the morning on Sunday, if you look at your cable listings, eastern north dakota we're on sundays uh on uh, on fox tv out there and then if you're outside of north dakota um we're on sunday mornings at 11:30 and monday evenings on the midco sports network and and that covers north dakota south dakota minnesota and wisconsin and the, the easiest thing is to probably look at the cable listings or you can go to our our website uh, teamua.com or facebook is probably the easiest thing shoot us a message or or me just look up jason right on facebook and uh, i i enjoy you know communicating back and forth with people and you know you were talking about earlier you know we've all got our own little areas but i think for me what's more exciting is if i can share some tips or some tactics and if i can hear you know how your day went on the water. That's as exciting for me as as being out there. That's just learning. These guys have been fishing uh, Lake Sakakawea really hard this year. You know when I meet up with them at Shields, just uh, I did that last week, and th- my first question was, you know, are you using what are you using spoons? Show me. I want to know. And it's <laughs> not because I want to go up there. I, it has nothing to do with me wanting to go and fish the area you're fishing, uh, but rather. I'm curious because uh, we were just at Lake Winnipeg so I'm just curious as w- what what about you know uh, is what I'm using up in Winnipeg working on Sakakawea and vice versa Walleyes are walleyes to a point right. you know so I'm more intrigued with that and a little bit about structure you know are you fishing just a, a bay or are you out on a point and that's what makes it fun for me so I'd love to share that information with anyone and it's not I'm I'm a very poor competitor I, I know I fish a lot of tournaments um, but it's it's I'm I'm terrible at competing against myself. Um it's hard to beat yourself, you know what I mean? But right. I, I don't like to compute commu- or com- compete against other people. I just assume them have the great time too, you know? Exactly.
0: And and I I can really appreciate that about you. And you've always been an open book for uh for us when we've had questions, when we've looked for information, and and um I would encourage our listeners to do the same uh, as I, as as you said uh, it's Jason Wright you're on social media ultimate outdoor adventures um you guys are on social media there too and it's uh, it's so much fun seeing what you do and 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 seeing where we have uh, commonalities and things we can learn from each other and and that's really why we do what we do i think is is to share that information and share that passion uh I certainly appreciate you coming on to uh, Shack Talk today, Jason, and and sharing some of your knowledge and insight on on Lake Sakakawea. And like I said, I'm pretty fired up about uh, trying to get out there and catch some fish myself. Hopefully, some of our listeners are as well. But uh, thank you for
2: that. You bet. And, and you know, I, I think getting up on that lake in the summertime would would be real helpful if, especially if somebody wants to tackle that lake you know on the ice as well it has a lot right now to provide i think it is one of the best fisheries that there is in in a lot of, in in the, maybe even in the midwest um it it's incredible it's at it's at its peak right now and it's it's scary just to think about that cuz we all know that when a fishery is at its top you know and how far will it go how far can it go um right now we've got the snow so that's good we know we got water coming but um, this is, uh, it's going to be a tremendous year on that lake right now.
0: It'll be exciting to see what happens. Very much so. We appreciate it, Jason. Thank you very much and good fishing.
2: Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you to Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. Get Eskimo.com. Follow Eskimo on Facebook and Instagram. We love hearing from our listeners. And as Jason said, so does he. It just makes the things that we do so much more gratifying to uh, to get feedback, to hear your comments, hear your suggestions. Don't hesitate to do that. Brewerigryoutdoors.com. There's a place you can message us. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Folks, until next time, be safe. Get out there and go fishing.